Welcome to KPMG's Asset Retirement Obligation podcast series. I am your host, Bailey Church, leader of KPMG's Public Sector Accounting Advisory Services. I am thrilled to be joined today by my friend Martin Kinwa, Director of Financial Reporting for Alberta Health Services. Welcome, Martin. Yeah, thank you, Bailey. Good to be here. It's great to have you. And uh, by way of context, Alberta Health Services uh, is uh, distinguished by uh, being uh, part of Canada's first and largest province-wide, fully integrated healthcare uh, system. I, I was amazed, Martin, reading you serve almost four and a half million people all uh, all around the province. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. And uh, I mean, uh, serving 4 million people living in the province of Alberta and actually boasting of a workforce of uh, over 100,000 staff. Yeah. So it's a uh, it's really no a small feat. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and Alberta Health Services is uh, consolidated in uh, the public accounts of uh, the province of Alberta. And uh, you are working towards adoption of uh, PS3280 asset retirement obligations for this March 31st, uh, 2023 year end. Correct. So, so Martin, let's start with a overview of uh, AHS and the scope of operations you needed to consider. I know it was it was quite the significant task working uh, working through this. Yeah, thanks again, Bailey. Yeah, and as you mentioned, uh, AHS being the first and the largest uh, province-wide fully integrated health system, and uh, of course, as you mentioned earlier, delivering health services to more than four million people living in the province of Alberta. Uh, it's uh, it's no mean feat, obviously, when you look at the size of the entity, and more specifically to your question on the scope of operations that we had to consider for the ARO implementation. I'll say that based on our operations uh, that you described earlier. A big portion of AHS's tangible capital assets base actually comprises facilities, which make up approximately 80% of our net book value of all tangible capital assets. And uh, obviously, uh, our financial statements are posted uh, on our website. You can go there. It's www.albatahealthservices.ca. And so then going forward with all the mention of uh, asset retirement obligations, specifically asbestos and uh, other environmental liabilities being in scope of this standard, clearly this asset group was quickly the largest one to be scoped in for our further review uh, in terms of the ARO. So so this was uh, a fairly quick process for us and to zero in on what we needed to focus on fairly quickly. It, it, it's just amazing, considering the uh, just the, the the sheer number of 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 assets, the the geographic reach too of of AHS across all your your various uh, various locations. A, a lot to work through, and uh, a, a lot to consider as you uh, as you work through those those different asset types. The the other area that's of interest, uh, Martin is certainly how, how this all fit in to uh, to the province's public accounts. And you, you are a significant part of that consolidated reporting entity. Uh, I'm wondering how your team balanced working with the, uh, the Office of the Controller General, uh, central government reporting guidelines, your your own implementation priorities. You, you had a lot of stakeholders that needed to be balanced out. Yeah, you bet. And that's a very interesting question, Bailey. 
And I, I must commend the Office of the Controller for the approach that they took when the standard first came to light some years ago. And uh, what I mean by this is the Office of the Controller actually led uh, the formation of a working group, which uh, comprised various government departments, uh, including the Ministry of Health, obviously. The working group was tasked with uh, items such as the initial scoping of the ARO overall across government, coming up with uh, corporate accounting policies, for example, and even reviewing various topical accounting position papers, just to name a few things. So in a sense, and more specific to a question, Bailey, I feel like the priorities of the Office of the Controller and the departments or ministries uh, were generally aligned. And so really, there's not been too much balancing required, so to speak. Uh, it's true that while the government working group laid down the broader ground rules on ARO, the actual measurement of the liability, including the establishment of any systems and controls that go with that, remained and continues to remain uh, really the responsibility of Alberta Health Services. So frankly, this is where most of our effort is being spent as an organization and I'm happy to note that uh, it's right in step with the expectations of the office of the controller I would say we are truly lucky in that sense and and certainly speaking from having had the the the, the good pleasure of of sitting in on 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 some of those uh, those provincial working group uh, meetings I, I thought it was a, a an excellent process of getting everybody at the table and and really looking at the various asset categories that uh, that that were impacted and how those cut across the different uh, the different uh, government units different departments it, it really helped to get more consistency i think uh, across the province mm -hmm. yeah truly golden yeah truly golden yeah it was a golden opportunity to make sure that we are all on the same page at the same time and uh, really being able to hash out uh, even those uh, e uh, issues or risks at the beginning of the process, I think that really helped. You you, you could always uh, have gone the other way and and had each each department going off and looking at this differently and 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 tackling their own approach. But then of course you you had that consolidation level risk that I I, I think uh, the the working groups were were effective to manage. Mm -hmm. You bet. Right. Uh, I want to go back to the scoping question and understand a little more about the process that you followed for the scoping of assets and how you got the input of your internal stakeholders, which I know were many mm -hmm. across the operational and facility groups. Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, good question. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, it was very clear early in the game uh, what asset classes were mostly impacted by the new standard. And again, working with the government uh, ARO working group, one of the first tasks was to uh, assess all asset classes to ensure that all potential legal obligations were considered for further review. So based on this early look, uh, we were able to quickly zero in on the asset classes uh, impacted by the standard, which as I mentioned was our facilities uh, in terms of AHS. As an organization and given our size, we, we now started engaging various teams across AHS, those with varied and deep expertise on our tangible capital assets portfolio. So of course, this included uh, the accountants who are the scorekeepers, uh, but also we engaged uh, engineers or infrastructure experts and uh, even business advisory professionals. And I think this provided a very good solid base to start uh, to start with. But remember, as members of the government working group, we were also able to tap into that wider team 
for the much needed feedback. I must mention too that uh, we've uh, also throughout this process, uh, of course, as you mentioned, uh, engaged our auditors quite a lot, actually mostly to brainstorm ideas, but also to provide an update of our implementation uh, progress. And along the way, we've also been able to tap into resources such as uh, your farm KPMG and specifically you, Bailey, which has been very valuable as we navigate this implementation. Of course, this uh, hasn't stopped and uh, through various recurring meetings with different stakeholders, the engagement continues uh, literally on a monthly basis all the way to, I guess, our year-end audit, which is in a few months. I, I'm a firm believer in those auditor milestone check-ins and, and regular touch points. I don't think you can do enough of that. I, and I strongly encourage every public sector entity, uh, regardless of who your auditor is, to be having uh, having that engagement, forcing that engagement, because I think that's vital to make sure everything is progressing uh, on track and, and there's no surprises when you get to that that year end. Uh, Absolutely. It, it, it's, it's also interesting reflecting on uh, the that internal stakeholder engagement and the meetings with facilities and operations. And one 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 distinction, I'll say one challenge that's come up in a number of these that I've done, and I'm not sure if you saw this, Martin, was of, of getting a clarity around what is truly in scope and what is a, a, a true legal or contractual retirement obligation that falls under scope of this standard versus what's a, an optional retirement, uh, one you might be choosing to do for asset management purposes, but it's not legally required. And I found that was a point where often we would have differing understandings amongst the stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's actually a very interesting point because when you look at the standard, the legal obligation definition uh, is not really expanded much further than that. It's actually, it basically says legal obligations. But the good thing is one of the items that was out there, an outlier that was never really considered to be a a deep obligation was obviously asbestos, but now they actually make reference to asbestos directly in PS3280. So that that became very clear where our biggest our biggest impact would likely be. And then of course, then uh, you have to think about medical equipment, for example, because that's that's uh, the nature of work we do. But again, you have to think of do we ever have a liability with our medical equipment, or do we have actually vendor arrangements that actually take that out of our hands? So. To your point specifically, yes, I can see where the debates were, but for us, it became fairly easy and straightforward where where the scope was going to be um, or the focus was going to be much in. And it was basically our facilities, our medical equipment and such type of assets and working with the broader working group, uh, the government working group. We were able to tap into that resource as well, and and even jurisdictions that, that were linked to the office of the controller as well. So whether it was uh, Ontario or other provinces, just to see what they were finding as well. So we were sort of in tandem with what they were looking at at the same time. Yeah. And make sure everybody's all all on the mm-hmm. same page uh, and all approaching it. And and I I do think uh, as 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 you said, Martin, I I think a lot of what's in the standard around the recognition criteria and, and, and what gets scoped in it it, it re- really to me boils down to two key questions 
a do we have a, a true legal contractual retirement obligation and b is it going to cost us something are we giving up future economic benefit and and to me though it comes down ultimately to those two key questions mm-hmm. and and if we boil it down to that it, it it makes the rest of the process so much easier absolutely uh i want to jump around now and look at the measurement side of this and i understand hs has applied costing factors to determine initial measurement of uh, of AROs. Uh, I'm wondering about what uh, the, the challenges and obstacles you faced in uh, in developing those factors. Oh my, where do I start? And a very, <laughs> yeah, very good question. I must say that- It'll be a long HS, podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I must say that at DHS, uh, I mean, we have a very engaged and qualified, obviously, team of uh, infrastructure and accounting experts. So that, that helped us uh, along the way. And so in our view, we, we were able to come up with uh, what I would probably say quite well-reasoned costing approaches and assumptions, which have been the basis of the estimates that we have. So in a sense, we were truly lucky to have all that in-house at that particular point. But some of the challenges we faced, uh, and I'll just mention four for now, is how much, how much do you actually test? Because, I mean, AHS has a sizable number of facilities, obviously, it's... Uh, probably over 400 in scope that we had to look at. And so then the assessment and the looking at the ARO and the design of the buildings themselves, how much do you go into these facilities to be able to find a solution that is representative of the whole population that you're looking at? So that that continues obviously to be a, a challenge. And of course, then jumping into the next challenge that is very linked to the first one is how broadly do you apply the results of testing or those assumptions across the whole population. Because uh, let's be honest, it, this was predominantly a desktop uh, exercise. And with some testing here and there, obviously then the question becomes whether you can truly project or extrapolate the results to the population. And I think the third challenge that comes to mind is just the realization that the timing of settlement of this liability is relatively unknown. And most quite uh, honestly, mostly uh, long-term. So depending on when the funding is available and of course uh, taking into account patient and client safety and continued service delivery in healthcare, obviously, it's unknown when this liability would be settled. It could be tomorrow or continuously over many years to come. Uh, I mean, up to up to when the facilities ultimately gets retired. So then what basis do you use to measure today? So that was uh, another challenge that we had. And I think maybe the fourth one, and maybe the final one for now is just the usual resource constraints because the work needed to determine the cost factors requires very dedicated resources. So whether it's funding or human resource. So given the scope of the ARO work and how wide it is, the staffing resources have been really stretched thin as they've had to accommodate this review as part of their day-to-day work. So something that we continue to deal with and try to balance. So for now, I think those are the top four that I could think of as the main challenges. Of course, we have more than that, but I think those four uh, are, are very key to what we end up coming up with as a as a true measurement. We'll we'll save the others for the uh, for the sequel. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we'll, we'll have you back on, Martin. Absolutely. Yeah. The uh, it's interesting. I I know the capacity question has been top of mind for virtually every single public sector entity 
I've talked to across Canada working through this standard. I, I don't know of anyone who would put their hand up and say, yep, we were, we were resourced perfectly for this. No issues at all. Mm-hmm. I, I know that's been a, 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 a real challenge across the board and not to mention, uh, of course, everything else we've been doing through the, the, the COVID response. And, and of course, in, in the health services sector, you, you've been hit harder by this than anybody else. Absolutely. And, and I, I, I think the, extrapolation the the sampling extrapolation is essential when you have a large asset base to work through those risky assets and make sure you're doing so in a as consistent a manner as uh, as you can because you 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 don't have the time practically to go and look at everything and 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 I think everybody has to keep in mind the st- the standard doesn't require you to do that. The standard directs you to use best estimate, right? Best available information, applied professional judgment, which is all very much keeping with that uh, with with that approach. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you said best estimate. I'm just uh, hoping that the auditors are also listening to <laughs> that keyword, best estimate. <laughs> It's 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 the key the the key as, aspect of the standard and it, it, the timing challenge is also a very big one. Uh, my my personal belief is you one should only be looking at at at, at doing discounting and incorporating the timing of those payments where they've got some confidence right. with with when. Uh, these outflows will occur, uh, and and where it's significant because, as you say, some of these could happen next week. Some of these could happen ten years from now, and it it's in certain cases impossible to predict where that might fall. Mm-hmm. And I think where where discounting is being applied, it, you really need to have a greater level of confidence and and clarity around uh, around that timing to properly develop assumptions and the rates. Absolutely. Uh, so Martin, one last question. Uh, this has been a great conversation and I'm wondering if uh, you can share any other tips for success for aero implementation for all your friends and colleagues uh, out there in the trenches right now working <laughs> on this standard. <laughs> Throw them a lifeline. What would you tell them? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think too early too early to tell whether we are successful or not. But uh, we're not there yet. But I'm really optimistic we'll get there. And I wish I wish actually you'd ask me this uh, after the year end audit to truly uh, assess how successful we've been. But the sequel that's part yeah, of the sequel. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, I mean, given the path we've taken so far, I mean, I would strongly recommend a couple of things just to keep things moving forward and. Um, possibly increase the probability of success. I think the first uh, thing that we've done well, I think, is uh, it's really important to engage internal stakeholders very early in the process. So this uh, includes, for example, if you are a control entity, you are parent, grandparent, and even sibling entities, for example. And that was the case with our, the province of Alberta. And thanks to, again to the Office of the Controller with the establishment of the government ARO working group uh, with representatives from various ministries. I think this achieved uh, this objective very, very well, and we quickly got onto the same page on many items. So this was really golden uh, in my view. And the second item, and maybe uh, just a, a pointer, is just keep your auditors close and informed throughout the process. 
you can do that through touchpoint meetings, whether it's monthly, ad hoc as needed as we've done, and but regular nonetheless. And this keeps the discussions very open and candid, I think, and it helps uh, be on the same page early in the process and also helps organizations and even the auditors identify and possibly even mitigate significant uh, risks as they arise. I think the third, the third proposal I would put out there is consider engaging others outside your circle of regular operations. For ourselves, through the Office of the Controller, again, we were able to engage with other jurisdictions just to compare notes, so other provinces, so we just didn't keep it within the province. So that also helped us just be on the same page on many, many, many uh, aspects. And I think lastly, for now, just within the organization itself, assuming ARO is a material item for your company, consider establishing an internal working group, which pulls in your scorekeepers, and this would be the accountants, uh, but also the non-accountants as well. So whether it's uh, tangible capital assets, infrastructure experts as well, if possible, because really the wealth of information and ideas that others have, not just the accountants, has proven to be very, very, very vital in coming up with well-reasoned assumptions uh, along the way. And as you can tell, the key theme is very clear in, in all that I'm saying, engage, and communicate as widely and as often as possible. Uh, obviously, it would be great, uh, Bailey, to debrief again uh, all this after year end to see how things actually played <laughs> out. <laughs> but I think so far, so good. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more, uh, Martin. And I, I, I think it's, uh, it, it's been a key part for uh, all the good work Alberta Health Services has done and your team has done on uh, the implementation of this of this standard. The working group is uh, really important, I think, not just to the the, the first uh, run at implementation, but setting yourself up to maintain all this going forward and recognizing it, it it's a multi-year uh, ongoing initiative and all those conversations and relationships that you're you're developing now will uh, will pay dividends for for the future years as uh, as as this goes forward uh, and i think also the auditor engagement is uh, as i said before so so important remembering your auditors will be assessing this implementation through the lens of, of of the new Canadian auditing standards, updated auditing standards on how we audit estimates. Mm -hmm. And that requires the auditor to understand the process, understand the assumption, understand the variability, the contingencies that might be there. So they 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 need to be brought along. It, it, it's not something that you can just do at uh, at your end uh, unless you're 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 taking some significant risks. Yeah, and yeah, I'm glad that the discussions continue. So yeah, we'll see how things play out. More fun to be had for sure, Martin. Yes, we so appreciate your uh, your your insights and your time uh, today, and uh, we look forward to uh, welcoming you back, Martin, on another uh, another edition of the podcast. Uh, thank you all very much for joining us. I look forward to it. Thank you so much, everyone.